Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. It is really hard these days to remember even what day it is, isn't it? Today's Sunday, <laughs> if you didn't know. Uh, this week I saw a picture, like a little meme, uh, that was shared on social media. It said, hello, this is Thursday. And that was really helpful for me because I had forgotten even what day it is. Today, though, is the fifth Sunday in the season of Lent in the church calendar. So it's officially the last Sunday of Lent, as next Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week with Palm Sunday. We'll be moving definitely into a Holy Week unlike any other in history. But during this season of Lent, uh, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer together. We've been going phrase by phrase, looking at each phrase first to ask, what is the meaning of this phrase? What is Jesus trying to teach us to pray? So we've been looking at the meaning and then learning how to apply each of these phrases into our prayers, into our relationship and conversation with God. In these times, a lot of people are coming back to the Lord's Prayer. I've seen some recommend that we should pray the Lord's Prayer every time that we wash our hands slowly for at least 30 seconds, right? I think that's a good idea. On Thursday, uh, the Pope actually called the entire church, all Christians around the world, to unite together in praying the words of the Lord's Prayer uh, for ourselves and for the world. And I thought that was a great idea as well. For me, each phrase that we've looked at as we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer since everything hit, since this pandemic took hold, at least in our country, I've thought this is the phrase, this is exactly what we need to hear and to be praying right now. A few weeks ago, we looked at your kingdom come, a prayer of lament and a prayer of hope. Last week, we looked at give us this day our daily bread, a prayer of petition for our needs and a prayer of trust that God will provide for us each day. This morning, we're going to go back one phrase and look at this prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the part of the prayer that I believe the more that we understand it, the more we see how hard it is, probably the hardest part of the prayer for us to pray. But also, it's the part of the prayer that the more that we understand it and the more that we pray it, the more that we taste and bring heaven into earth. I believe both these things are true now in this moment of crisis and difficulty. The hardest part of the Lord's Prayer, I believe, for us to pray in this time will be this part, thy will be done. But this is the part that can bring more of heaven into our world of uncertainty and difficulty and loss. Two points this morning. If you're following along, kids, you have your bulletin. Make sure you have that handy. I have a few pictures that I want to share with you, and I want you to draw. But there are really just two points that I want to share this morning. First is 
why we must pray this prayer, and secondly, why this prayer must be prayed for us. So first, why must we pray this prayer? Your will be done. In order to see why, we first need to see that the Bible speaks of, of God's will in two main ways. First, there is God's will of decree, his decorative will. Secondly, there's God's will of command. Both of these are addressed in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, where Moses said, The hidden or secret things belong to the Lord our God. That's his will of decree or his sovereign will and plan. But, he says, the revealed things, God's will of command, belong to us and our children forever so that we may follow all the words of this law. So God's will of decree, his secret will, is his hidden and secret and mysterious plan, which is very hard for us because it remains often, most of the time, hidden to us. It's hard to understand. It's hard to make sense of it, especially as it's playing out in the present and in our lives. That's God's will of decree. God's will of command is, is, more, is revealed. It's direct. It's more open to us. We can see it. We can understand it more readily, but that doesn't make it easy. It's also very hard for us to do all the things that God asks us to do in his word. So the question is, which aspect of God's will is Jesus talking about in this part of the Lord's Prayer? After studying it this week, I believe Jesus gave us this part of the prayer to teach us how to respond to both aspects of God's will. It's the same response. Your will be done. So let's look at this. First, we must respond this way to God's will of decree, his sovereign will and his sovereign plan for us and for all things. The Bible clearly teaches that God has a plan for us. He has a plan for this world. God is in control no matter what is happening, and nothing can stop his plan. In Romans 9, verse 19, the Apostle Paul phrases it in the form of a rhetorical question where he says, Who can resist his will? The answer, obviously, is no one. His will, God's will, will be done. Our choice is either to ignore this or to resist this or to surrender, to surrender control to him. That's our choice, to try to control our lives or to surrender control to him. To pray your will be done is to surrender control of your life, your circumstances to God. You see the picture there, kids? It's a picture of open hands. That's what this prayer is inviting us to do. It's, it's opening up our hands to say, I don't see it all, Father. I don't understand it all. I can't understand it all. What's happening right now in my life, what's happening right now in the world, it's not my will. It's not my plan. Your will be done. You are in control, not me. Praying your will be done is surrendering control. In this time, when we've lost control over so much in our lives, so much in our world, or maybe it's better to say we've realized how little control we ever had. A lot of us 
EC already mentioned this, we're grasping for things that we can control. For me, I like to clean stuff. If I have a clean kitchen or a clean part of the house, I feel like that's something that I can control. And some of us are doers. We want to get things done. We want to stay busy. Some of us just feel frozen. We're fearful or we're anxious. Jesus is inviting us to open up our hands and pray, your will be done. Now, praying your will be done is not a prayer of resignation. It's not saying it is what it is or que sera, sera. It's not that at all. It's a prayer of personal trust. And there's a big, gigantic world of difference between the two. One is resignation. The other is placing your life, your circumstances, into the hands of a Father who loves you. Saying to God, I trust you are in control even when I don't understand. Some scholars suggest that another way this prayer could be translated is, may your will happen. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the Bible, The Message, he paraphrases this uh, part of the, the Lord's Prayer this way. He says, do what's best. Now, the natural question then is, why would we have to pray that? It sounds like we're, we're giving God permission to do his will, but go ahead, God. You got this, you take this, you can do what's best. It will happen anyway, right? So why pray this? Well, here's why we must pray this. So much of our prayer, so much of my prayer often, is really us saying to God, God, my will be done. Sometimes we'll add a please on top of that. So much of our prayer is saying, God, would you bless my plans? Would you cause my agenda to take place? Would you carry out what I want to see happen in my life, please? The praying my will be done in these times that we are in, friends, is a recipe for disaster, for frustration, for disappointment, for anger, and for anxiety. Because what we are asking for when we pray that to God is we are asking for ourselves to take the place of God in our lives. We're asking for God to make us God, to put us in control of our lives instead of Him. This is why we must pray this prayer, because He alone is God and we are not. The reality is no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, we cannot control our lives. There is so, so very little that we are in control of. But what we can do is trust Him. This is so hard. This is very hard because God's will in this sense is hidden and secret to us most of the time. We find ourselves asking, why? Why this way? Why is this your plan? Now here's where a story may be helpful. It's a story from the Bible. Many of you may be familiar with it. It's the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Now, if you know a little bit about the story of Joseph, he was sold into slavery by his own family, by his brothers. He was mistreated. He was forgotten by people who said they would help him. He was imprisoned, wrongly accused, and he lived through a great famine. As he looks over it all, Later on in his life, 
he says this about everything that happened. He's speaking to his brothers, the ones that, who had sold him into slavery. He says, you planned evil for me, but God planned for good to preserve many lives. What we learn from this is we don't understand why God's will would allow disease or suffering, but we can trust that God turns the tables on sin and suffering and evil to accomplish his good will. I debated whether or not to share this quote from Martin Luther, but I think in light of everything that I've shared, we can receive it. In his characteristic, bold, and straightforward way, Martin Luther says this about praying this prayer. Here's what we're asking. Grant us grace, God, to bear willingly all sorts of sickness, poverty, disgrace, suffering, and adversity, and to recognize that in this, your divine will is crucifying our will. In this, your divine will is crucifying our will. Now please note, Luther is not offering a reason or an explanation for all these hard things. He's saying in these hard things, in this, give us the grace of your divine will crucifying our will. In other words, teach us to let go of control of our lives. The brother of Jesus, James, in chapter 4 of his letter, he wrote this about this prayer. I think he probably had this prayer in mind, this teaching of Jesus. He said, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. It is very hard for our arrogance to be revealed, especially in times of difficulty and trial and uncertainty. But friends, it's harder to try to be God and to try to control our own lives. That's why we must learn to pray this prayer. But we also must pray this prayer in response to God's will of command. We looked at God's will of decree, his sovereign plan. But let's now look at God's will of command. This is a little more straightforward, but it's just as hard. I think it's probably harder for us. In telling us to pray your will be done, Jesus brings to the surface something that is hard for us to hear and something that is harder for us to accept. And that is that we are locked in a battle of wills with God. It's right there in the prayer. Earth and heaven. It's earth versus heaven. God's will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. We're locked in a battle of the wills, and it's us versus God. We all know something of what this is like, and we probably know more of this uh, these past few weeks because in all of our close relationships, to some extent, we experience a battle of the wills. In the workplace, in our families, between parents and kids. Kids, you might be experiencing a little bit of this at home, being home so much with your parents' siblings, 
spouses. Merriam-Webster defines a battle of the wills like this, a contest in which each side is determined to get what it wants, and neither side seems willing to yield or compromise. A contest in which each side is determined to get what it wants, and neither side seems willing to yield or compromise. In the battle of wills between you and God, this is not a battle that you want to win. C.S. Lewis wrote this. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. This is why we must pray this prayer. Praying your will be done to God is saying yes to everything God says yes to. It's saying no to everything God says no to in his word, to all of it. But a lot of our prayers, I know a lot of my prayers, they're really just bargaining with God. They're saying, God, if, if I do this part of your will, can you do this part of my will? If I do this, will you do this for me? Or editing out pieces of God's will that we just don't want to deal with. Well, did God really say that? Is that really his will? Your will be done, though, means submitting to all of it, even when we don't want to. Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in which this prayer is found, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. All of it. The Heidelberg Catechism, in answering what it means to pray this part of the Lord's Prayer, says this. It's praying, help us and all people to reject our own wills and to obey your will without any backtalk. Now, there's another story I want to share in light of this. It's, it's not a story that is as well known as a Joseph story. It's found in 1 Kings 22. And I remembered it only because I recently read it in our CBR reading. So here's the story. There are two kings, the king of Israel, Ahab, and the king of Judah at the time Jehoshaphat. So they decide to get together and form an alliance and go out and fight another king in his kingdom. But before they go out, Jehoshaphat says to Ahab, hey, shouldn't we check if this is God's will or not? Isn't there any prophet here who can tell us whether this is God's will? And Ahab says, well, there's this one guy, uh, but every time I bring him in, he, he says something I don't like about God's will, and I hate him for that. So I've kicked him out. Jehoshaphat says, no, bring him in, bring him in. Let's see what he says. And so they ask him. His name was Micaiah, the prophet Micaiah. Micaiah, should we go and fight this battle? And Micaiah says the first time, yes, it is God's will. You'll, you'll be fine. You'll win. Fight the battle. And Ahab says, don't lie to us. What is God's will really? And he says the second time, you're going to win. It's God's will. Go ahead. But then Ahab says, Tell us, really, what is God's will in this? And that's when Micaiah says, you're going to lose. You're going to die if you do this. And so Ahab says, oh, really? He takes him and he locks him up in prison. And they go ahead and fight the battle anyway. And sure enough, they lose. Somewhat of a funny comical story, except friends, 
This is what I found myself saying when I read that. Isn't that what I do? Isn't that what we do? We say, what, what is God's will really? And then when we realize what it is, we say, oh, that? It can't be that. Never mind, that's too hard. I don't want to deal with that. I want to lock that up in a way. Let me ask you a question in light of this. What would heaven on earth look like for you? You know, maybe you can answer that right now. You can turn to each other if you're in the same place, or you can chat on Zoom if you're watching this with other people. What would heaven on earth look like for you? Right now, we might lower our standards a little bit in light of this question. We might just say, I just want to go out and get my favorite coffee, or go to my favorite restaurant, or hang out with friends, or just be in the presence of a loved one. Most of us, though, in answering this question would say, heaven on earth would be some version of my will being done, that everyone around me, that the world around me would bend to me and to my will and my needs and my desires. That would be heaven. But Jesus is defining here what heaven on earth really is. It's doing the will of God like it's done in heaven. God's will being done fully and joyfully by me, by the world, everyone in it, everything in it bending to his will and his desires, that would be heaven on earth. And here's how he's saying, no matter what it is that you're facing, that you can taste and bring more of the joy and the peace of heaven into your life. Now, all this sounds very, maybe to you, controlling and authoritative. Do all the will of God, no exceptions ever. But do you see that it's the most loving thing for God to do? to teach us to bend to his will. The most loving thing for God to do is whatever it takes to make us into the kind of person that in the end and in our heart truly and fully can say to God, thy will be done. In fact, this is a sign of being a true Christian. It's in the heart of hearts learning to say and more and more saying, I can't wait for heaven. Why? Because there I will finally be able to do all of God's will, fully and joyfully. There I'll always say, thy will be done. Now right now in this pandemic and, and all the lockdown that has come with it, we're at a place in our world where this is true for everyone. Our wills are not being done every day, probably more than ever for most of us. And much of the time in the West, at least, we believe that uh, we have this idea, pretty much my will can be done uh, on, a, on any given day. I can get what I need. I can get what I desire. My will should be and can be done today. I can do what I want. But now, if our prayer is my will be done, it is a recipe for disaster, friends. It will only lead to anger and irritation and frustration and complaining and anxiety and resentment. Praying your will be done for us can be a path to peace. In this, this can be a time where we learn to finally pray this prayer. Now, Eric Chappelle already mentioned this, but I want to address it too. There's pressure we all feel, though, in this. And depending on how much you are scrolling Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and browsing the web and listening to podcasts or whatever, there is for me, and I would guess for a lot of you, this mounting pressure you feel. 
See, now life is stripped down to its bare essentials. We can all live for what is most important now. Can't we see it? We can finally do God's will. Without all the distractions, we can pray, we can read scripture, we can connect with friends, we can let go of all the fluff. We can have sweet moments with our kids where we're cuddling together in parental bliss. We can do that thing we have always been putting off. We can start a gratitude to, to journal, et cetera, et cetera. And Eric already mentioned many of these things. Now, all this is good stuff. It's true. We need guidance. We need encouragement like this. But we are going through something none of us has ever gone through before. Social distancing and panic buying and distance learning and forced homeschooling and close quarters with those whom we love, isolation from others whom we love, mass, massive changes in our schedule that none of us chose. This is a time for us to learn what is the will of God for us and to see and to hear, maybe with greater clarity than ever, what this is, but it will take time. It will be hard. This prayer will be needed. And what usually happens when we are forced into submission of will by someone else or something else? What usually happens? What do you usually do? You push back. You fight back. You say, no, I'm not going to be forced into that. I would imagine that that's happening in some way for all of us right now. And that's why we must pray this prayer. I believe this can be a time that we look back and say, I did learn more fully, more clearly, what it means not to be conformed to this age, but to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, to know, to discern, and to do the will of God that is pleasing, good, and perfect. But it's going to require the daily and throughout the day praying, your will be done. We've looked at open hands. We've looked at bended knees, doing the will of God. Handing over control with open hands, total submission and obedience, bended knees. That's a lot to ask. That's everything. Jesus is asking for everything. In this prayer, Jesus is saying, hand over everything to God, your plan for your life, control of your life, your right to choose, your very will, hand it over to God. That's everything. To do this, to really do this requires trust, total trust. And even when we don't understand what's happening in our lives and why we're being asked to do something or not do something. So friends, let me ask you, who can do that? Who can pray this? How do I know God's will is good and pleasing and perfect? How do I know his will when hardship and suffering and loss comes will turn out for my good? That is a part of a greater story for his own glory. That more of heaven will come into my life in this and through this, now and forever. How do we know? The answer is this. This is a prayer that we must pray, but it is a prayer that we can only really pray when we know this was a prayer that was prayed for us. Out of all the phrases and parts of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us, this is the only phrase, this is the only part that he prayed. He prayed it word for word, this exact prayer. Your will be done. In Matthew 26, verse 39, 
Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was facing his crucifixion. He said, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Later he said it again, My Father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. When Jesus, he, he fell face down, it says in verse 39 of chapter 26, he didn't just open his hands, he didn't just bend his knee, he fell face down. It says he was swallowed up in sorrow while he was praying this prayer. Kids, I want you to draw, this is your third drawing, open hands, bended knee. You probably have a cross there on your kid's bulletin. Could you draw someone face down before the cross? That was Jesus in the garden. Jesus face down praying your will be done is what makes it possible for us to open our hands and to bend our knees. Here we see the answer to the question, what is God's will and plan for me? No matter what's happening. Jesus face down praying your will be done is the clearest answer we have to the question, what is God's will? God's will was and is that the worst day in human history, the worst and greatest act of defiance and disobedience against his will, the day of greatest suffering for him would become the best day in human history, would become the greatest display of his loving will for us and a day that opened up healing for the world. The cross shows us God's will. His plan is to turn the tables on all evil, sin, and suffering. His will is heaven on earth, no matter what the cost. It is so hard. There is great cost to really praying this prayer, giving over control, giving over everything, setting aside your will. But the cost to us is nothing compared to the cost for Jesus. The cost for Jesus to pray this prayer. When Jesus prayed this prayer, he chose to carry our sickness, the curse of sin, and the power of death itself to undo them all. And it cost him everything. Why would he pray that? He prayed it so we would, so we could see that the will of God is for us to know the joy and the peace and the life of heaven now and forevermore. Jesus prayed this prayer for us so that we could pray it in our suffering and our trials so we would open up our hands and trust and bend our knees and know that he loves us and he will never will anything except that which is for our good that which will drive us further into the joy, the peace, and the love, and the life of heaven itself. I want to close just with two more points of application for you to consider. As we're thinking about how to pray for others, consider praying this prayer. In Colossians 4.2, we're told of a man named Epaphras who was praying for the church in Colossae, and it's said there in Colossians 4.12 that he is always fighting, wrestling in prayer for you, that you might stand 
firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Now, if this prayer is answered for another person, it doesn't mean life will be easy and comfortable or pain-free, but it would mean that a person's life would be more rooted in the will of God, that they would be more of what God has designed them and planned for them to be, and they would be more fully assured of his love. So I would ask you and encourage you, pray this prayer like Epaphras for the people in your life that you love and care about. And I want to close with this. Did you know that someone is praying this prayer for you always? Your will be done. God's will be done for you. That they pray this prayer with even more fervency than you ever could for yourself. More depth when you're hurting and when you're afraid and when you feel at your weakest point. That someone is God the Holy Spirit. We already read this in our words of assurance. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Here's what he's praying. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Wow. We don't know how to pray for what we ought to pray for. Friends, when we're at our weakest, when we don't know what to say, when all we have is sighing and groaning, we can know that God himself, the Holy Spirit, is interceding for us. And he's praying, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to invite you to do something as we close. We've been sitting for a while. I've been sitting here for a while. Um, you don't have to do this, but I'd like for you to do this with me. I'd like for you to get on your knees and open your hands. Uh, kids, you can encourage your parents to do this. As we close in prayer, let's all get on our knees. Let's open up our hands. And let's pray. May his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me? God, in this time, this is a hard prayer for us to pray. Because in so many ways, we don't understand your plan. Your secret and hidden plan is hidden from us. As there's so much fear in our hearts, anxiety in us and around us, as we see people who are getting sick and suffering, It is hard for us and we lament it and we call upon you in your mercy to bring an end to slow the spread to stop the virus and here on our knees with our hands open we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven help us to let go of control of trying to find all the answers and to trust you that though we don't understand your will, that you are good and loving and your will is good, pleasing, and perfect. And help us on a day-to-day -day basis as our wills are not being done, as we struggle with the frustration and the irritation that comes with that. Have mercy on us. 
we pray that you would bring more of the peace and the joy of heaven as we bow our heads and bend our knees and ask you whatever it is that you call us to in the next minute, in the next hour, in the next day. May we be open to follow after your will. Teach us, meet us when it's hard, comfort us, give us patience with ourselves and with each other as we wait on you. We pray for ourselves. I pray for our church. I pray for our friends and our neighbors and our families. May we learn to more fully and joyfully say, your will be done in our lives on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.